Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Good morning, Hope Church. All right, I want to get the elephant out of the room. I am not Pastor Mark. Cool? We good? Okay. Hey, I am excited to be hanging out with you guys this morning. My name is Daniel. I'm the young adults pastor here at Hope Church. I love hanging out with the 18 to 25, 45-year-olds. It's great. I love it. Uh, you guys are awesome, and I'm pumped to be here. Um, before we get started, I do want to address uh, our country's in a weird thing right now, and um, I think everybody feels it. Regardless of which side of the aisle you land on or where you are um, in your thinking, our country's in a weird place. And so I just wanted to take a moment and uh, pray for you and for us and to ask Jesus to come have his way. So let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity we have to be here together as your people. Thank you for the freedom we have to worship you this morning. Lord, it's really not new, but our country is, uh, is in a very strange place, and it's only reconcilable by you. So, Lord, I ask that you would come and move in our midst and help us as your people here in this microcosm of the church called Hope Church. Help us to have your mindset and your thoughts and your ways in our spheres of influence that we might shine your light to the world, that we might shine your light to the people that are in our sphere of influence. It starts with us, and it starts with your spirit living in us. So help us, God, because we all know we need it. You know we need it. So please come and help us. It's for your beautiful name that we pray this morning. Amen. So I talked to Pastor Mark about uh, jumping in. I was like, hey, I think I want to speak on Sunday. I've got this idea. And he's like, that's cool. What do you want to talk about? And I was like, I want to talk about this. And he goes, well, that would fit great in the Greater Reward series. And you can go on June 26th. And I was like, oh, oh okay, cool. So what I was going to talk about already is going to line up with what you're talking about? And he's like, yeah. I was like, oh, that's cool how God does that sometimes. Uh, so I, I had this idea that I wanted to talk about with the bridge, which is the young adults ministry that we have here at Hope. And, um, I, I had this idea that I wanted to talk about, 
and it just so happens to line up perfectly with what Mark planned like six months ago. So it's, it's just cool how God lines, lines things up. But before we dive into that, a quick recap on where we were last week in case you missed it. Last week we talked about the idea of why can't I change? And um, uh, there's a, there are a lot of reasons. If you missed the message, I encourage you to go online and catch it catch up with it by uh, watching it on the YouTube channel or listening to the audio podcast that we have out there. It's fantastic material. I'd highly recommend you checking that out. But some of the things is that we train, we don't try, or as Yoda would say, do or do not, there is no try. So we need to have this mindset that we are going to do something. And kind of the bottom line for the message last week was, With God's help, we will choose what we want most over what we want now. And I know this is so difficult for me. It it really hit home, especially with like when it comes to budgeting. Budgeting in general and like thinking about money. I'm always, I have this draw to spend it on what I want right now, which is a pergola over my patio in the backyard. That is what I want right now. But I know, I know that there are probably things that need to get done um, that are on my honeydew list first, which is the renovation of the laundry room and the pantry. So I, I don't know. What do I want most? A happy wife or a pergola? I, I think I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go. I think I'm. I think I'm going to go, yeah, it's, it's a no-brainer, right? The, the pergola, obviously. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of what it made me think of, and I, I, it really resonated with me that we, we need to and ought to be focused on and change our mindset to think about the things that we want most more than the things that we want now because oftentimes they do not line up so put your brain on that and think about last week's message and we're going to jump into something that you can today we're going to jump and talk about the confidence that you can have in God and how that will help shape our relationship with God and help us to be more in line with his will so the question I want to start then start today off with is this: Why is having a relation? Why is it difficult to have a relationship with God? And there's lots of reasons why it's difficult to have a relationship with God. But I, I want to kind of talk about my own relationship with God and why I think it's difficult um, for for me. How do I, I how do I know that? He's there sometimes. I, I wonder, like, when you're sitting there trying to have a relationship with God, you might be reading your Bible or praying to the top of your, you know, to the wall off your bed, or you, you are just wondering, where, where are you, God? And I, I find myself there often. Um, how, how do I know that he's leading me towards something? Or, or... Maybe another question is, how do I know he's leading me away from something? 
Was it just the bad pizza I had last night talking to me? Like gurgling? Is that what it is? Or is there something, is there something else there to the, the conviction or feeling in my spirit about whatever it might be? How, how do I know? And I think that the, one of the main reasons it's difficult to have a relationship with God is because he is invisible. Um, first, so with God being invisible, it's difficult to have a relationship with somebody that you can't see sitting across the table from you at dinner or that you can't see sitting in the chair next to you while you're having your coffee cup devotional in the morning or, or like whatever, whatever it is that you do to connect with God for prayer and reading the Bible and spending time with him. When you can't see him, it's difficult to foster and care for that relationship. If I couldn't see Lindsay sitting there with me when I'm talking to her after dinner or after the boys go to bed and you can finally hear in our house, um, if I couldn't see her sitting there, it would be very difficult to continue to be motivated to build that relationship. It just would be difficult to, to do. Um, I'm reminded, I'm reminded of the passage in Acts 17 where Paul, so Paul is the greatest missionary our faith has ever known. His name was Saul. He, had, he was blinded, had his name changed to Paul. He, the scales fell off his eyes. He became the greatest missionary that Christianity has ever known. If you don't know about Paul, you should go read about him because he's pretty cool. But <clears throat> Paul is... Um, He's on this missionary trip into uh, Greece, and he's in Athens. And he's walking around, and he's like, this is a religious place. There are lots of, there's lots of religion in this place. And I, I kind of think about it today. Like, there's, it's, it would be easy to walk from city to city to city to see these massive altars to the God of the, the falcons or the god of the seahawks or the god of the whatever like there's these massive structures that are built for from a sports perspective or there if you go and pull up anybody in this phone whip out your bank app and click on the bank app you can scroll through the things that you worship you can see them i can see them home depot is on the top of my list right now <laughs> and and you can see the things that you put your money towards, and it helps us understand where we worship things, where we idolize things. And our, our country, everybody is hyper-connected to a sense of spirituality, whether they want to admit it or not, because there's, there's this need, there's this inherent need that we have to be connected <clears throat> to a spiritual being or some meaning for life or some reason for being or why we're here. We all have that in us. We all feel that in us. And so I think what Paul is doing in Athens is very similar to what we see today. He's walking around and he says, wow, so there's the God of money, there's the God of sex, there's the God of alcohol, there's the God of um, sports teams, there's the God of your children, there's the God of X, Y, and Z. There are things that we all worship that are everywhere around us. It's rampant. 
and he's walking along and he sees this altar. And Acts 17, uh, verse 23, it says this, it says, I found also an, art- an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. And so he finds this altar because they, they're so religious that they don't want to miss it. And so they've got this God and this God and this God and this God and this God. And so they throw up an altar just in case they missed it. They wanted to have this altar there just in case they missed it. And I found this picture uh, of it. It's, I don't know if you can see that. but like So there's people around the altar there, and there is the altar, and there's literally nothing on it. And I was like, man, that's a great picture of the invisible God. We see it in, you know, I, th- I think it's Colossians, Mark will correct me. I, I think it's in Colossians where it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the incarnation of the invisible God. So we know that God is, in, we have this invisible God that we worship. And the altar there in Athens is showing us a picture of that. I, I thought that was an incredible picture of God as the invisible God. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I thought I thought it was really cool. Maybe you guys don't geek out quite like I do on this stuff. I am in seminary, so. <clears throat> um, so that's... To me, that's probably pretty close to the number one. I, I wrestled with these two, top, two ideas and which one would go first. And I chose Invisible to go first because I feel like it's, um, a, I, I just feel like it makes more sense. It might be a slightly more relatable. But the second, the second reason I think it's difficult to have a relationship with God is the requirement of surrender. So... We have a choice to make. We, we have a choice to make on if we are going to submit to God's rule and reign on our life or if we are going to choose to go at it our own way. We have a choice to make as to whether or not we are going to surrender to God or if we are going to surrender to self. And I think we see more and more often people by the masses choosing to surrender to self. And it's, it's not an easy place to be. I know for me, I tend to think about decisions that I have to make in life or um, any, any crossroads that I come to. I, I tend to step back and think about it from a practical point of view. Anybody else? I, I, I like to step back and think about things from a practical pers- perspective so that I can make a decision that's going to benefit me. Because if it's not going to benefit me, then why am I going to do it? If it's not going to have a tangible increase on my bank account, why am I going to do it? If it's not going to have a tangible increase on my status at work or my status here at the church or the way people view me, if it's not going to increase me, why would I ever do it? That's what I I tend to think about when I'm sacrificing at the altar of practicality. 
often, oftentimes I've heard, well, I've heard this said, and I, I think I do this too, but we will make statements like, um, God gave me a brain for a reason, so I should use it. But really, all that is, is a guise. And it's used as a cop-out from having a real relationship with God. I I think that kind of statement is used as a cop-out to having a real relationship with God. You see, when we start to think about, um, don't get me wrong, we definitely need to spend hours and hours of time in prayer thinking about and actively engaging in a relationship with God in order to make decisions, especially decisions that are going to change the trajectory of our lives. We have to bathe those decisions in prayer. We have to read and study. We need to even seek out the counsel of people that are wiser than us. Those are all good and great things to do. But when you overanalyze things and when you look at them to the nth degree, it is surprisingly easy to rationalize our disobedience to God. Surprisingly easy to rationalize our disobedience to God. I've done it many times. And I'm sure everybody in this room has rationalized disobedience to God before. And I'm not proud of it, but it is easy to do. It's something we all fall prey to. So, I want to look at a passage um, from the book of Daniel. (laughs) Not me, I didn't write it. But the book, I want to look at, I want to look at a passage from the book of Daniel, specifically, it's, it's one of my top three, maybe top four stories uh, from the Old Testament that I, I love uh, looking at. And so we'll, we're going to start in chapter two and we'll end somewhere in chapter three, maybe in a, about an hour and a half. And um, I hope you pack the lunch because this is going to be a long one. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's my favorite joke to make. If you've never wa- heard me speak before, go find a sermon from here where I'm online, and I literally make the joke about packing the lunch every single time. I've ne- never without fail. Never without fail. Hope you packed the lunch because we're going long today. Um, Daniel chapter two verse forty-seven. Uh, <clears throat> so this is right after. Um, Daniel was brought forth to the king to uh, interpret a dream for him. And so Daniel interprets this dream, and, he, and King Nebuchadnezzar is like, Whoa, you got, like, this is awesome. You interpreted this dream. Wow. And he says, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. Now, like, I, I don't know, but, like, if I was going to make a proclamation like that, about something as important as God, I, I tend to think that it would be something that I would take seriously and it would have, inve- like some sort of change would have happened in my heart for me to be able to even say that. For me to even be able to say, um, God, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. But 
we quickly see that acknowledgement of God is not indicative of a relationship with God. We quickly see this in the book of Daniel. And I, I, we see it, uh, there's, um, there's a couple of places. I don't know, any, anybody that was here maybe, I don't know how long ago it's been now, eight, ten years, when, when Frank Burnett was preaching here, um, he constantly reminded us that sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car any more than coming to church. Sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car and coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. <laughs> he constantly reminded us of that. And I think it speaks to this that this is what we see King, from King Nebuchadnezzar is that he made this acknowledgement of God, that God is God, but it did not indicate that he had a relationship with God. Because just three verses later in uh, Daniel 3, verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar then made an image of gold. <laughs> so he instantly goes from God is God. He's like the Lord of kings, and I'm a king, which means he's higher than me. He makes this acknowledgement, and then instantly goes and builds a giant statue. We learned, last, we learned at the bridge on Friday night that that was about 90 feet tall. Gold, 90 feet tall, this, this statue of himself to be worshipped. <laughs> so this king, so he's like, maybe he's nervous. Like, have you ever, ever been, this happened to me in high school. Wow, lots of stories are coming up. So this happened to me in high school. I was in, I was in the, the band in high school. Band kids out there, woo! Anyway, I was, in, I was in band in high school, and I was, I played the oboe. Don't judge me. I played the oboe, and um, I was... I was pretty daggum good. Like, I was third chair All-State band my senior year. I was pretty, I was pretty good. Um, and I was senior. I got comfortable. And then this girl comes in. She's a freshman. She's like 13 years old. And she comes in, like, slayed the oboe and made me look like I'd never played it before. And I, I was just, so I was really nervous. And so I, I probably did some things then that made, like, to try and make her look bad and put her in a bad light. And like, it, I, I kind of think that that might be what's going on here is that King Nebuchadnezzar realizes that, oh my goodness, there's this God, there's this Lord that's over me, that's higher than me. I have to do something now to make sure that he doesn't get more glory than I do. I've got to do something now to make sure that the people understand that I'm still in control. Yeah. And, like, he's, I think that that's probably what's going on here. And so he builds this, this giant statue, and he says, um, he says in Daniel 3, chap, in chapter 3, verse 6, he says, Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And... So this is, this is forced submission. Forced submission to uh, a law of the king. It's, pretty, it's a pretty wild idea to be put to death because you won't fall prostrate on the ground and worship a golden statue of a dude that is just 
a dude. And it further shows the arrogance of the king and his pride after his momentary, momentary humility. So that's where I want to look at this idea of arrogance. Arrogance, which is what King Nebuchadnezzar is, and confidence, which is what we see from these three children of God that are in the story that continues on in Daniel 3. But first, arrogance. What is, what is arrogance? Um, there, there's lots of things that arrogance could be, but I, I tend to think of arrogance as um, uh, like a, an idea of confidence that's slanted wrong. Arrogance is um, being secure and sure in something with a bent toward you. So arrogance is often about you and what you bring to the table. It, it's a confidence that terminates on you. And that's where, uh, that's exactly what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to have confidence and have it terminate on us. Because that's what breeds people sacrificing to the altar of self. That's what puts you in a position where you will make, um, you will sacrifice friendships, relationships, um, other people that you don't know. You will sacrifice those things at the altar of self so that you can get higher. You'll step over people in promotions. You'll step on people on your way to promotions. You'll walk right past somebody uh, that's in need of help because we tend to fall and worship at the altar of self. Moving on in Daniel chapter 3, if we jump down to 16 and 17. um, So we have uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are these three guys. And they are children of God. They are um, followers of God. They are from Jerusalem, the part of the Babylonian exile. They're in Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar at this time. Um, It's a lot of glazing over history, but we didn't pack dinner. We only packed lunch. So so these these guys are here, and the law has been set down, and they're like, "Eh, no, like we're not going to do that. We're, we're not going to do that. And so they, they refuse to fall down and worship uh, this 90-foot statue that has been built. And um, the decree was that if you didn't do that, you were going to be thrown in a fiery furnace. And so these guys had been appointed to like rule and reign and part of the cabinet with King Nebuchadnezzar because Daniel had um, made the interpretation for this dream. And so he made a request that these guys would be on the cabinet and King Nebuchadnezzar's like, yeah, we can do that. And so they get appointed. So they're like high up, like they're high ranking people. They're not just some, they're not part of the general populace. They're important dudes at this time. And so they're like, we're, we're not going to do that. And some of the other people are like, well, we're kind of mad that you're doing that. So they go to King Nebuchadnezzar and they're like, hey, these three dudes, they're not following your law. And King Nebuchadnezzar's like, oh, I'm really upset about that because I like those guys. So bring them in. I know I said like if they didn't do it one time and throw them in the furnace, but we're going to give them another chance. So they come 
end before the king, and he says, hey, like, I'm going to give you one more opportunity. I'm going to, like, cue up the band over here. The oboe is going to play, and you're going to have an opportunity to fall down and worship now. And <laughs> their, their response is pretty, pretty telling. Daniel three sixteen to 17 says this. It says, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. What confidence. What confidence. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And so that's the biggest difference between arrogance and confidence to me, is that arrogance terminates on you, confidence terminates on an external authority. So <clears throat> this is the example that I've used at the bridge when we were talking about this uh, on Friday night. <clears throat> I'm confident that two plus two is four because the external authority of math and how things work, and if I literally sit two apples here and two apples here and I put them together, I have four. Like, my confidence in that mathematical equation of two plus two equaling four based on the evidence is, my, my confidence in that is based on something external to me. It does, it's not two plus two equals four because Daniel said it's two plus two equals four. Two plus two equals four because there is an external authority around that equation that I can plead to or that I can plead the cause of that would say this is true. That, that's kind of the idea. That's kind of the idea there. So confidence terminates on an external authority. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's confidence was not in themselves. <laughs> their confidence was in God. Their confidence was in the external authority of the God of gods and the Lord of kings, as Nebuchadnezzar said in chapter 2. That's, that's where their confidence was. And so we see in 3.18, they continue on. And this is, this is kind of where the idea for relationship drives into the idea. They said, but if not, meaning the not isn't like, the not there means that if God doesn't save us, if he lets us burn, if he lets us die this horrifying death in a fiery furnace that's seven times hotter than normal, if he lets that happen, <laughs> be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The depth of relationship that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have had with God to be able to have this kind of confidence on an external authority, the external authority of God, is mind-boggling. Uh, it's easy for us to understand this idea, for those of you that are parents. It's easy for us to understand this idea when we say we would lay down our lives for our kids. It's very easy to understand that idea, and if you don't ha if you don't have kids or if you are a kid, um, I, hopefully you'll know that feeling one day. There's 
there's this inherent um, desire to protect and take care of children, your children in particular. Like, I would lay down my life for my kids. And that's, that's the relationship there, to have that kind of confidence in one another, is what we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego having of God. And it's not something that, I, I don't imagine that this is something that they would have had just inherently, right? They came from Jerusalem. They would have grown up being taught the Torah, being well-versed in Jewish law. They would have known X, Y, and Z about all these things. They would have prayed however many times a day and done this and done that and fasted and observed these meals and did all these things. Their, their life as a Jewish person would have been wrapped up in uh, connection with God. So this relationship is not something that happened overnight. They developed this relationship with God over time. And so it's easy for us to see something like this and go, well, you know, I, I could never do that because, you know, I don't feel like I have God with me right now. And that's, a, that's just a lie that the devil wants you to, to buy into. Because this isn't the result of... The, they weren't like standing there in front, of the, in front of King Nebuchadnezzar like, what are we going to do? Oh my goodness. I know. Let's, uh, let's plead to that God we learned about when we were in third grade. That's not what happened here. There, weren't, there wasn't a, a core memory unlocked that they all of a sudden had... Uh, a desire to connect with or rely upon God. They had built this over time. The relationship that they had built with the Lord was over many decades. And so if you feel like you couldn't be somebody who stood up uh, because you may not have that depth of relationship with God now, the answer isn't to give up. The answer is to take your next step. The answer isn't to walk away. The answer is to pray. Maybe for the first time. Maybe for the first time in a long time. Don't feel discouraged because you don't have the depth of relationship now. Take steps daily to increase that relationship with God so that when you're faced with something, you have the ability to place a confidence in God that's unwavering because of the depth of relationship that you've built with Him over time. Because our relationships are built over time. Confidence, the next slide is kind of a so confidence is about knowing that God is with you and for you. And um, that's the difference between arrogance and confidence is that the devil wants you to be arrogant and God wants you to be confident because you place your hope in an external authority, namely God. And so if we, as we move on to the story, they, they did not fall down. They did not fall down and worship. So King Nebuchadnezzar's like, well, I made this log. Yes, I got to throw him in there. And he was pretty upset about it. So he turned the furnace up seven times hotter. And it literally says that when they were bound and taken up to 
the furnace, the people that tossed them in the furnace, it was so hot that the people that tossed them in died right there at the outside the furnace. Like, it's hot. <laughs> like the face of the sun, hot. Maybe not that hot. But it, like, it's pretty insane that they'd walk up to toss in a log on the fire and it, the fire is so hot that they just, <laughs> dead right there. It's pretty, pretty crazy. And Daniel 3, uh, verse 25, when they're, after they've been tossed in, Nebuchadnezzar's looking up at the furnace and he says, didn't we throw three folks in there? And they're like, yeah, we did. And he says, but I see four men, dot, 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 that's, imper- that's important, dot, dot, dot. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. <clears throat> so there's a few, there are a few places in the Old Testament where we see pictures and pointings forward to the New Testament of Jesus. And this is one of those moments where we see a picture and a pointing to Jesus from the Old Testament. And it's extremely important because, because he's with them. God is with you in the fire. So in this particular instance, God is with you in the fire. So when you're going through anything that's hard or tribulating on your soul, God is right there with you in the midst of it. And if, I missed the in the, but, and he's for you in the trial. So if you're going through something where you're being persecuted, he is for you in that. If you're being held up and persecuted for anything related to your faith, he is for you in it. He wants the best for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us that God has a purpose and a plan for our life. He is for you. Um, especially in the trial. And so, as the, as the band gets ready to come back up and lead us in a final song, um, I, I kind of ended uh, Friday night with this, this idea, and I, it's continue, it continues on in the story. It's actually the, uh, the dot, dot, dot part that I said was so important. Um, Daniel 3.25, uh, the dot, dot, dot part, says, uh, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and, and they are not hurt. And the verses after that kind of key in on and point at the fact that they're not hurt. It, it keys in on, um, they came out of the fire and their robes didn't even smell like smoke. It keys in on this idea that they went into the fire as one thing, and when they came out of the fire, they were still that. They didn't change after the fire. There was no, nothing as a result of the fire that changed them or hurt them or left them uh, less off than they were. It keys in on that, but there's there's one word that I think is extremely important for us to uh, to understand and look at and grasp, and that's that's how this relates back to the greater reward. As a, we have a relationship with God. Our greater reward 
is that on the, other, the, on the other side of the fire or on the other side of the trial, it's not that we came through it and we're the same afterwards. It's that we enter into the fire bound. And there's one thing missing when we come out of the fire. The bindings. Because when we come out of the fire, when we come out of the trial, we're unbound. The fire consumed the bindings. The fire and the trial consumes the bindings so that we might come out on the other side of the fire, unbound. Nebuchadnezzar goes on after that to say, again, he acknowledges that God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. As we go through the fire, as we go through the trial and we come out unbound, That is a living testimony to the people around us that God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. So, the the ending of this song that we're going to sing, it's about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's it's another in the fire um, because God is with them in the fire. But the the, kind of the ending of the song talks about... um, it says, count, it, count the joy come every battle. And the joy that we have is the greater reward that we get to partake in as a result of our deep, vibrant relationship with God. The joy is that we come out of the fire unbound. The joy is that we go through the trial and God is with us. And we exit the trial, we exit the fire unbound. I I hope that resonates with you today, that you can go, whatever you're going through, whatever trial you find yourself in, whatever fire you might be going through right now, is that as God is with you in it, when you come through it to the other side, the things that are holding you down, the chains that are holding you in place, the grave clothes that are binding you to the grave, after the fire, after the trial that God is with you through, you will be unbound and free. Yeah, that's good news. Let's pray. God, thank you for today and the opportunity to be here with your people. Thank you for your love. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for the fire. Thank you for the trial. Come and be in our midst. Help us, Father. We need you and we love you. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area, there you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.